This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. President Joe Biden has just wrapped up a four-day trip to Israel and Saudi Arabia, affirming ties to both nations and between both nations. While in Tel Aviv, Biden reaffirmed close U.S.-Israeli ties, saying, quote, we invest in each other, we dream together, we're part of what has always been the objective we both have. Biden did not publicly raise the brutal Israeli killing of the Al Jazeera journalist and Palestinian-American Shireen Abu Akleh with his Israeli friends. He did mention her in a meeting with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas in Bethlehem. While in Saudi Arabia, Biden met with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the man documented to have ordered the brutal murder and dismemberment of the Saudi-origin Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Mr. Biden did raise Khashoggi's murder with MBS, who then responded, quote, you can't impose your values on us by force. Remember Abu Ghraib? What have you done about Shireen Abu Akleh? Phyllis Bennis is my guest. She's the director of the New Internationalism Project at the Institute for Policy Studies, the author of numerous books, including Understanding ISIS and the New Global War on Terror. Welcome to the program, Phyllis. Great to be with you, Sonali. First, let's talk about Israel. Uh, Biden also said while he was there, you need not be Jewish to be a Zionist. He has said in the past that he identifies as a Zionist. He in, seemed to not just reaffirm what every previous U.S. president has reaffirmed in Israel, but perhaps went even further, right? Um, how do you, uh, what is your uh, quick analysis of how he strengthened U.S.-Israeli ties? Well, I think the key question was less about the symbolism. Of course, there's been justifiable outrage about the, the optics in both Saudi Arabia and in Israel. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, the fist bump with MBS in Israel, the, the uh, handshake, the very warm grabbing handshake with, with Netanyahu when he had actually done a fist bump with everyone else. So it, all of that was, was very disturbing. But more disturbing than the symbolism, of course, was what he did and didn't say and announce and do during these visits. And on the Israeli side, of course, that led to the signing of this joint declaration, what they're calling now the Jerusalem Declaration between the US and Israel, uh, which, as you say, reflected longstanding US-Israeli ties, but did go further in the context of what Biden's actual policies are. Because while he doesn't speak of it very often, Biden has been in office now for 18 months, and he has chosen not to reverse the policies that were set in place by his predecessor. The very extremist announcements that Trump had made back in 2018, where he talked about uh, a new policy that said that the U.S. Embassy belongs in Jerusalem and not in Tel Aviv, that the Israeli uh, annexation of the Golan Heights, the Syrian Golan Heights, is acceptable, that the Israeli uh, settlements throughout the West Bank and occupied East Jerusalem are legal, and that the long-term uh, efforts to annex much larger parts of the West Bank would be perfectly fine. These were really extremist policies put in place by Biden, uh, sorry, put in place by Trump, which Biden indicated he did not necessarily support. But the fact that he has been in office now for 18 months and has chosen not to reverse them, these are, of course, policies where the president on his or her own can make the policy. They don't require congressional approval means that they are his policies. So he has adopted those extremist policies. 
in that context, the failure to, to uh, represent any planned change in the relationship with Israel is serious, a, a very serious uh, concern. He said one time that he supports, continues to support a two-state solution, uh, but without saying anything about those existing policies, what he's saying is that he's going to continue policies that make and have made a two-state solution impossible. He did move forward on the description of the U.S.-Israeli relationship, calling it sacrosanct in this, uh, in in the terms of this agreement, the the uh, Jerusalem Declaration, and that's a very disturbing word to be used in the context of diplomacy. That's I, I was actually curious about it, and I looked it up in the dictionary. And according to Merriam-Webster, the word sacrosanct means either holy or immune from criticism. Mm -hmm both of which I find quite disturbing to describe a political relationship between apartheid Israel and imperial United States. What about his meeting with Mahmoud Abbas? Um, this was one place where he did raise the recent killing of the Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akleh, although he butchered her name. Um, he was faced by people sitting in the audience holding her picture. She was this uh, incredible Al Jazeera journalist who was intrepid on the front lines. And it was very clear that Israeli forces had killed her. Although if you're at the US media, somehow that was put into doubt even when presented with evidence. But uh, did his acknowledgement of her by name mean anything, even though of course he didn't really raise it publicly with the Israelis? He didn't, and I think that was known and that was seen appropriately by Palestinians as a, as a huge betrayal of any claim to be concerned, as he said in his speech, that he wanted to move towards a situation through the two-state solution, allegedly as the best way of achieving, uh, he, he, I don't remember his exact term, but it was the implication was of an equal amount of dignity and self-determination for both Israelis and Palestinians. Uh, <clears throat> nothing in the US policy focuses on equality. We should be very clear about that. And in that context, I think the fact that he raised Shireen's killing only in the context of it's a tragedy, nothing about actual accountability. It was very much a reflection of the same kind of discussion he had had with MBS about the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, where in, in that case, he was willing to say directly to the crown prince, I think you're responsible for it. The prince responded by saying, no, I'm not. And Biden allegedly came back with, well, I think you are. And then they dropped it. That was the end of the conversation. Then they move on to real business. So in a sense, it's almost worse than not naming it at all. Similarly, in Israel, when he named Shireen and, and spoke of it as this tragedy, but said, you know, we hope that there will be more investigation, something very general. There, there's no question of accountability there. In the US, the US supervised uh, examination, the forensic examination of the bullet that was turned over to the US by the Palestinian Authority that had the bullet after the autopsy uh, when, on the day that Shireen was killed, the, the conclusion they came to was it's likely that she was killed by uh, an Israeli bullet fired by someone in the Israeli military, but there is no evidence that it was deliberate. There's no evidence that it was uh, intentional. Well, first of all, 
if you're not even clear who fired it, how in the world can you claim that you know that it was not intentional? Secondly, if it was not intentional, that means it was absolute collapse of the, of the command and control system of this highly trained Israeli unit. And since the US pays for 20% of the entire Israeli military budget, that makes us accountable. And it makes it a violation of US law, specifically the, the, um, uh, the laws that prohibit providing to any military force around the world, any military support if that unit of a military has carried out a gross violation of human rights, such as the murder of a journalist. So this, this whole protection of Israel so that there is no even talk of accountability was a, 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 a terrible thing to watch. It was far, far worse, I think, than the, the optics and the symbolism of handshakes and, and uh, fist bumps. Let's turn to Saudi Arabia. The flight from Tel Aviv to Jeddah was considered to be this big symbolic uh, thing as well. And big uh, part of Biden's trip, uh, the goal was to reaffirm Arab-Israeli ties, uh, normalizing relations between Israel and uh, Gulf Arab states. It seems that the United States has taken it upon itself to do that work for Israel. There was also the issue of Iran being raised. And uh, of course, Biden wanted to apparently ensure that oil would continue flowing to the United States from Saudi Arabia and the UAE to the US in light of high oil prices. These are the sort of stated goals. But there was a time when Biden, during the presidential debates, called Saudi Arabia a pariah. Did he not? And then in a Washington Post op-ed before his trip, he, I guess, he didn't quite remind us that he used that word pariah, but he did feel the need to say to the or explain to the American public why he was going to Saudi Arabia. How do you explain his about face on Saudi Arabia? Well, I think the about face is a reflection of the fact that when he made the statement about Saudi Arabia as a pariah state, he was a candidate and now he's the president. And the perspectives, the demands and the decisions are very different from those two positions. Saudi Arabia has not changed. Joe Biden is in a very different position, so he has changed. We should be very clear about that. Much of the goals of, the, of this trip had to do with the U.S. relations with Saudi Arabia, as you say, part of it in terms of the timing in particular, was rooted in this question of oil to persuade the Saudis, something that they did not agree to already, but they've indicated some willingness to consider it in the near future, to produce more, uh, more oil in the hope of not changing the, the price at the gas pump here for people in the United States, because that is not going to happen anytime soon based on uh, new amounts of oil from Saudi Arabia, but it will look like he's trying to do that. Right. And in the run-up to the to the elections that are coming in November, the that's a very important goal is to look like he is trying as hard as possible to reduce the cost of gasoline for American drivers. <clears throat> so that had everything to do with the timing. the The broader question, building up the anti-Iran coalition that groups Israel and Saudi Arabia as the regional hegemonic leaders of that military coalition, reaffirming the arms sales to Saudi Arabia uh, without any consideration of the need for serious consideration at least of accountability for things like 
the murder of Khashoggi, things like the war in Yemen that has led to such horrific humanitarian consequences for the people of Yemen. So the goal was to make it look like he's pushing for more oil. In fact, we've learned just in recent days that Saudi Arabia has just doubled the amount of Russian oil it is actually importing at very reduced prices because of the US sanctions on Russia. Russia has dramatically dropped its prices. Saudi Arabia has doubled the amount of oil it is importing so it can sell its own oil products on the global market at much higher rates. So the, the hypocrisy of all of this between the US and Russia, between the, the Saudis and Russia, between the US and the Saudis, all of it is uh, rather shocking to see. And of course, all of this is in the context of the rise of militarism around the world in the context of the, the war in Ukraine, the US shift away from its global war on terror towards the, what they, they now are looking at competition with their near peer competitors, mainly China and, and Russia. And how all this is going to play out, we're seeing here that human rights simply is not on the top of the agenda, despite the claims of the Biden administration that it would be exactly in that place, that US foreign policy would be based on human rights. Clearly it is not. There is the need, and we saw that in, in Biden's editorial in the Washington Post. He was on the defensive even before he left, knowing that there would be this kind of criticism. And indeed the criticism has emerged, particularly for the optics, but the, the reality of what he has done and not done on this trip is far more serious in many ways than the, the optics of the physical embrace of either a, a dictator responsible for the murder of a journalist or the longstanding, uh, longest serving uh, prime minister of Israel approving and, and ruling over Israel's apartheid policies for at least 12 years. So the optics are troubling, but more troubling is what he actually did and didn't do on this trip. The longer term view is also troubling considering MBS's response to Biden, right? We have this terrible, terrible legacy in the Middle East that dictatorial and authoritarian figures like Mohammed bin Salman, like Vladimir Putin, can throw at any U.S. leader who tries to criticize them. And that's precisely what MBS did when Biden brought up Khashoggi's murder. He said, you can't impose your values on us by force. Remember Abu Ghraib? And he basically said that he was as responsible for Khashoggi's murder as George W. Bush was for the torture of Iraqis in Abu Ghraib. He said, what have you done about Shireen Abu Akleh? Um, and so he and other authoritarian leaders have been able to throw in the U.S.'s face the hypocrisy of our policies when we call out human rights abuses because we ourselves have been so responsible for human rights abuses. Guantanamo remains open. Our prison in Guantanamo remains open. And that's a longer standing issue, right, that a subsequent U.S. presidents are also going to have to deal with unless we completely change our policy in the Middle East. Absolutely. And that's why there's such a massive disconnect between the work of civil society in the U.S. and globally, uh, the work of human rights defenders in the U.S. and globally, who have every, not only every right, but every uh, urgent necessity of calling out every 
world leader who is responsible for these kinds of atrocities, whether it's US presidents, Russian presidents, uh, uh, mo absolute monarchs across the Middle East, elected leaders of apartheid countries, any of these governments need to be called out by global movements for human rights. At the same time, understanding that not every government has the legitimate positioning uh, to, to call out other governments because of that issue of, of, uh, um, uh, of hypocrisy. You know, we see this in the context of the US, as, as you said, Sonali, the, the call out around uh, whether it's, it's Abu Ghraib, whether it's Guantanamo, whether it's the killing of people on the streets by police in this country, which is still at such epidemic levels, all of these things are issues that other governments look to and say, who are you to say that we are violating human rights? Look to your own house first. And I think that's absolutely right. That doesn't mean that we in the human rights movements, that we in civil society don't have the obligation to call out our own governments first and also to call out other governments as well. Building global movements for human rights is crucially important. The fact that globally recognized human rights organizations, whether it's Amnesty International, whether it's Betselem, whether it's Human Rights Watch, have all come to the same conclusion as various UN officials and UN agencies that the Israeli government is an apartheid government, that it's not based on comparisons to South Africa, it's based on violation of the international covenant against the crime of apartheid, that that has made it possible to broaden enormously the understanding of people all around the world of the nature of the Israeli state and why and how Palestinian rights are being so consistently violated. It's the same situation with Saudi Arabia when there is global understanding of the illegality, the war crimes that are inherent in the, uh, in, in the Saudi attacks on, uh, on Yemen, as well as the murder of journalists that becomes a very important component of the movement for civil rights inside Saudi Arabia, the movement for human rights inside Saudi Arabia, the, the movement for women's rights inside Saudi Arabia. All of these things are strengthened by the building of global movements, even while we call out the hypocrisy of our own and other governments that claim that they have a legitimate right to criticize other governments as if they were not guilty of the same crimes. Right. Phyllis, I want to thank you so much as always for joining us and sharing your analysis on these issues. Thank you, Sonali. My guest has been Phyllis Benes. She is director of the New Internationalism Project at the Institute for Policy Studies and the author of numerous books, including Understanding ISIS and the New Global War on Terror. We've been talking about Joe Biden's recent trip to the Middle East, to Israel and Saudi Arabia. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. At are you with Sonali?